coverage. This is the PFT PM podcast. And now your host, Mike Florio. It's already May the 8th, PFT PM, second day this week. For a look at the things that have occurred since PFT Live went off the air earlier in the day. Sean Payton, Saints head coach, joining the program. 20-minute interview. I want a budget for that. Don't want this thing to go on for an hour and 20 minutes. So I'll talk for a little bit, and then I'll answer some of your questions. I put out the bat signal tweet, although it's gotten away from the bat signal. Terry Gensler, I see, already asked if I'm afraid I'm going to run out of Batman gifts. No, not yet. There's plenty of them there. But I guess at some point, if we do it enough, I'll have to go back and use Batman gifts that I've previously used. And if I don't remember, you probably won't remember. And that's what we'll do. Congrats to our good friend Tony Dungy being placed in the Buccaneers Ring of Honor. Boy, you know, maybe that'll spark in him what it sparked in John Gruden last year. Gruden told me in January, after going through the Ring of Honor ceremony in December of 2017, Gruden became determined to return to coaching. Now, maybe he would have come back anyway, but he said that was the catalyst. That was the moment. So maybe Dungy comes back. You know, we were joking. He was on PFT Live back in January. Because Gruden's getting $10 million a year from the Raiders. Somehow it came up. What would it take? What kind of offer would Dungy be unable to refuse? He said, five years, $20 million a year. So $100 million in half the time Gruden's going to make it. But he made it clear when he left the Colts a decade ago, he's done. And... I don't know that he's never been tempted to go back. I think he's had opportunities to go back in other roles. Remember it came out that the Seahawks, when they hired Pete Carroll and John Schneider to be coach and GM respectively, they were talking to Tony Dungy and Leslie Frazier about teaming up there with Dungy being in charge of the front office, in charge of the football operation. So that's September 24. Halftime of a Monday night game against the Steelers, a team that Dungy played for, first team he played for. He'll be inducted into the Ring of Honor by the team he first coached. Still recovering from the Pittsburgh Penguins' loss to the Capitals last night. Although after two straight Stanley Cup championships, it really doesn't hurt the way that it maybe otherwise would. Five cups now for the Penguins. So, and I like the playoff hockey enough that I'll keep watching it. One of the things I like most about the Penguin games, we'll get anywhere from four to seven, maybe more people down in the barn watching the game. Friends, family members. It's just fun. It's fun getting everybody together. Eat some pizza, have a little whiskey, smoke a little cigar. I got to find something else, some other reason to do that. We do it every Monday night and Thursday night during football season. We do it during the Penguins' playoff games. 
We'll get the UFC pay-per-views. I think there's one coming up this week. Other big events. We'll see how big the hockey is to draw everyone together. I have a feeling that it's going to be a little more sporadic drawing people together for non-Penguins hockey games. But kudos to the Capitals. My internet son is happy. And he also has to eat horse manure. And apparently he's not going to try to weasel out of it. Although I think he will. Why wouldn't he? I mean, what what was the other side of this bet? He just made an open-ended vow. It's not like, number one, there's anybody who can say to him, hey, you're, you're reneging on the bet. Although everyone can say, hey, you said you'd eat horse crap if the Capitals won and you didn't. I guess it would hurt his credibility that he didn't actually go through with his vow to eat horse shit. I don't know. Some may say it's horse shit for Kurt Warner to suggest that he was thinking about playing last season. This guy's got a sneaky little bit of a of a look-at-me streak. Just a sneaky little bit. He wants to come off as a great guy. He wants that image to be squeaky clean, vanilla ice cream in a styrofoam cup. But he reserves the right to be a little Brett Farvey. Remember that thing last week with the tweet about when I grew up, the best people got the jobs. Oh, it has nothing to do with the fact that I didn't get the ESPN job. Oh, oh, how, how would I know whether or not Jason Witten's good? He's never even called a game before. Exactly. That's, I think, his point. This guy's never called a game before. I have. I've called games on radio. This is me being Kurt Warner. I've called games on radio. I've worked in TV for years now. What experience does Jason Witten have? None. He just has a star on the side of his helmet. Pedigree. It's one of the words used in that tweet. Oh, I don't know. Oh, harumph. Anyone even mad about it? Anytime that someone says that an allegation against them is baseless, isn't mad about it, it makes me wonder. And to not even acknowledge when he denied it, well, I can see why people would think that. Instead of, oh, anybody who thinks that doesn't really know me. Oh, Joel, sorry. Sorry you're above the rest of us petty human beings who would think that way. Who would actually be pissed off if somebody who we thought was inferior to us in ability, experience, and skill level got a job that we thought we deserved. Sorry that, that we're not immune to those basic realities of the human animal. There's just something weird about that. And there's something weird about, number one... Warner still thinking about playing. And number two, Warner willing to talk about it. I was actually ready to play for the coming season. I actually talked to a coach and my wife said, go for it. I think it would be great. Now, she's the one who grabbed him by the ear and dragged him home after he got blown up in that game against the Saints. Remember, that was one of the bounty games. The divisional round, 2008. Nine. It will now be nine years since Kurt Warner played. So she finally called him on it. Sure. Go for it. Sure thing. Absolutely. Go ahead. Sure. Quit talking about it, old man, and do it. I talked to a coach about possibly doing it if they needed someone. But then they went out and signed somebody. I don't think they thought I was serious. So I think we're completely done now. Okay. 
He's been completely done how many times? Remember when he tweeted back in 2015 about a return, and then he said it was an April Fool's Day joke? I, 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 there's a little farve in Kurt Warner, and that's fine. He's entitled. He's entitled. But don't act like you're different from the rest of us. Just be like the rest of us. So, just saw the breaking news that Mark Ingram is uh, suspended four games for violating the PED policy. Obviously, I talked to Sean Payton before that news came out. It'll be Alvin Kamara and somebody else, presumably playing running back for the Saints to start the season. 25% of the season. Mark Ingram. I haven't seen what it was for, just PEDs, violation of the PED policy. There are all sorts of substances that fall under that umbrella. And we'll see what Ingram has to say about the situation. Spiked supplement, whatever. Nobody ever says, you know what, I was trying to cheat and they caught me. Congratulations, your policy works. No one ever says, I deliberately was trying to gain an edge. I got this guy on the team, this Alvin Kamara. He's young and he's fast and man, he's good and I'm getting older and I want to keep making my money. And sometimes you got to do what you have to do to fend off these guys, especially when so many other people are doing it. All these veterans are doing it. I've been hearing it for years. I had to compete with them when I was on the way in. And now that I'm close to being on the way out, I got to do what I got to do. They never say that. I'd respect it if they did. Because we know what happens. I mean, the way that the truth gets spun, the truth or otherwise, gets spun by the guys who get popped, they never catch anybody who's actually cheating. It's just a bunch of unlucky saps who purchased the wrong can of supplement at the local GNC. We'll see what Ingram has to say. Maybe he'll have something to say before we're done. Reuben Foster had something to say today, pleading not guilty at all charges. That's not a surprise. Anybody who's seen my cousin Vinny knows how it goes. At this stage of the process, you got two things you can say. Guilty or not guilty. Vincent LaGuardia Gambini found out the hard way. Guilty or not guilty. Not guilty. Okay. Case continues. And even though the alleged victim has recanted her story, there may be other evidence that allows prosecutors to have a shot at getting a conviction, especially when one of the charges is unrelated to domestic violence. It's a felony charge for having an illegal assault weapon. We'll see how it plays out. Now, remember, GM John Lynch of the 49ers has said if there's evidence that the ex-girlfriend was struck, the alleged victim was struck by Reuben Foster, he won't be playing for the team anymore. We'll see where that goes from here. One more thing before I play the Sean Payton interview. I mentioned this earlier today on PFT Live, and I, and I want to say it again here. And I wrote about it as well. I, I have reconsidered my thoughts about Ben Roethlisberger's rant to 93.7 The Fan last Friday about the Steelers' decision to draft Mason Rudolph with a third-round pick and the effort to stir some shit between the organization and Josh Dobbs and Mason Rudolph and just, oh, what's this mean about Josh Dobbs? I guess they screwed up that pick. I guess they don't know what they're doing. 
when they draft a quarterback, except when they drafted me, of course. Think about this. Look at all the stuff Tom Brady's doing or not doing, saying or not saying. I plead the fifth. Simple question. You appreciate it by the Patriots. I plead the fifth. Well, you know, we all like to be more appreciated at work. At least Ben Roethlisberger is being direct. At least he's not playing games. At least there's no mystery. There's no weird sense of a tug of war behind the scenes. He's saying what he thinks. I kind of respect that. He shouldn't have said anything, and he shouldn't do that 93-7 the fan interview. I don't know why he does it. I Look, I don't want to regret saying this. Part of what we do is analyze the news, and we analyze the fact that guys probably shouldn't be doing these radio shows if they are too comfortable with the hosts, and if the hosts are more than happy to walk them right into trouble. And plenty of radio hosts know how to do it. They're very skillful. I've done enough radio on both sides that I know when a host is walking an unwitting guest into a trap. And then, as the guest tiptoes toward the ledge, I'm mixing metaphors, the host either stands back or provides an extra little push, but doesn't reach out a hand and help the guest back in. And you got to be aware of that if you're going to do these shows. Now, you know my position. I treat every guest on the show like a guest in my home. It's a different approach than when I have something maybe critical or caustic to say when I analyze a situation at PFT, but I feel like if somebody's giving me their time to come on the show, even if it's part of some sponsorship deal and they have to do it anyway and they wouldn't do it, but for the fact that they were getting paid by someone to talk, I still treat them like guests in my home. And if they are jerks to me, then I guess I would respond in kind. But if you're nice to people, they're nice back. And you can still ask meaningful questions without doing it in a way that is aimed at getting somebody to say something that they otherwise shouldn't say. And also without allowing them to walk right off of a cliff or supplying that last nudge. So anyway, if I was Ben or if I was his agent, if I was Ben's agent, I'd say it's not worth whatever they're paying you. Well, how much can they really be paying him every week to make it worth his while when he's making $21.85 million a year? How much more can 93.7 The Fan add to the Roethlisberger family budget that it's worth the headache that it causes? Unless he likes it, unless he welcomes it and he knows that's what's going to happen and that's his way of having the ability to push back against the team. I mean, if that's the case, he could do it at a press conference. But see, there's a different feel when you're doing it on the radio. And I remember for years, guys would just feel like whatever they said on the radio didn't count because the words evaporated into the ether. Yeah, those words get preserved, and we listen to them in podcasts. So, Ben, I like it that you do the 97 The Fan in Pittsburgh interview every week during the season and periodically in the offseason. But if I were you, I wouldn't do it. And if I were you, I'd go back to listen to some of the questions that are asked and the way that they approach it. And I'd ask myself, are these guys really my friends? They act like they're my friends. Are they really my friends? I'm not so sure they're my friends. All right. Without further ado, conversation I had earlier today, before we found out about the four-game PED suspension with Saints head coach Sean Payton. 
Welcome back, and as promised, the coach who won Super Bowl 44 and took the New Orleans Saints to the final eight in 2017. High expectations for the Saints in 2018. He is Saints head coach Sean Payton. Coach, welcome back to the program. How are you? Good, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Hey, it's great to have you as always. And I was thinking earlier today, you know, last year, for the most part, people didn't expect the Saints to be as good as they were. This year, the expectations are going to be higher. A lot of people are going to be picking the Saints to make it to the Super Bowl and possibly win it. How do you motivate a team when you don't have that chip on the shoulder, we're not being respected narrative that you would have in a year when everyone is overlooking you? Well, I, I think, I mean, listen, it's it's one of the challenges uh, with success. And I think uh, the way the season ended and coming off, you know, a tough road loss, um, you know, hopefully there's a better taste in everyone's mouth to 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 get back to work and, and to put ourselves in a, in a position like that. But yet understanding that you, know, you really regroup and you start with a new team, Um that all has begun now with, with the players that are in lifting and running. Um, but I think it's one of the challenges each year, especially, you know, when, you, when you've had a decent, a decent team. We're about a month removed from when the schedule came out. For you personally, when you first see that collection of 16 games, what do you look for? Well, with the schedule, you just look at travel. You know, time changes. You know, you, you know the teams, and then it's just a matter of, night games, day games, and you know, this is a year where we're playing predominantly uh, whether it's the AFC North or the NFC East, so there's not a lot of travel logistics. We have five primetime games, uh, but I think it's mainly uh, the sequence in which, which you play the games. How you feel about having three straight road games? Um, look, if there's three straight road games, there's a stretch somewhere where you open with two games at home, you know, and so again, I, that's not as concerning as, as coming back and, you know, playing on a short week, you know, you can find quirks in every schedule. I think it's a challenge each year to, to please 32 teams. It's impossible. But uh, I think the uh, logistics, as you look at it from our standpoint, you know, the evening games, we're two at home, three away. Um, there aren't any crazy weeks. I mean, we play a Thursday and then follow up with another Thursday. Um, so I think part of being three in a row on the road is is obviously because there's a stretch where you're you're opening the season with two home, and there's probably another couple home games back to back. So uh, I, I think I think overall, from a schedule standpoint, now who we're playing. It's a more difficult schedule based on the, the playoffs. And I'm looking at it right now. It's amazing. I don't remember a schedule like this where a team has two home games in a row to start the season, two home games in a row to end the season, and then another stretch of two home games in a row, and that's your Sunday and Thursday short week leading into the Thanksgiving game. So right. at and, least you don't so, have to travel back or to anywhere. Yeah, those are if, – if you tell me somewhere there's a stretch of three away, then you know – there's going to be a plus side to it, and those aren't usually the challenges. I think the challenges are, you know, the West Coast trips coming back on a short week or coming back off a, you know, a, a Sunday night or Monday night on the way. You know, the the the, the short weeks and the travel are, are the ones logistically you look at more. 
The news that was made this week came from the decision to move on from tight end Kobe Fleener, a free agent signing a couple years ago. In a nutshell, why do you think it didn't work out with him? Well, look, the, the most important thing is his health. And, you know, he, the, the most recent concussion he had this past year was significant. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, ultimately um, you're looking for the right fit. I mean, he's, he's been a tremendous teammate, guy who work, works real hard. Uh, and I, I think I think the main thing now with with him is, is just getting healthy and, and you know making a decision to come back and play football and, and stay you know uh, injury free. But uh, you know they it, it's it's hard sometimes if, if you knew ahead you know some of the challenges maybe you're going to have uh, with each player it's different. Some guys will transition and fit right in. Kobe's a guy that worked extremely hard for us and. and came up big in some games obviously not enough uh and yet uh was someone that i know his teammates had a ton of respect for is the door open to a return at maybe a different salary or cap figure yeah i i think every player that i visit with and and i visit with any player that 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 we're making a roster move with any and all of them i would always leave it with you don't know this this industry's pretty small and there's not as many teams as you think and Ben Watson's back here um that that's something that, that that happens every year around our league so yes you've spoken extensively about the decision to trade up to get pass rusher Marcus Davenport and one of the things given up a first round pick next year before you part ways with a future first round pick how much work do you do on the anticipated quality of next year's first round so you you have a better idea of what you're really giving up before you sacrifice that pick yeah you do spend time on that and it's obviously a projection um but I, look i think logistically i think the uniqueness of it is that we're discussing ones but you know if we were at 227 wanting to get to 215 there's a price and Obviously, when you're at 127, you know, you're five picks from the second round. Uh, so in order to get to 115, there's a price. It matched in regards to the the, the tables. And and obviously, you're, you're doing that because you have a conviction of a player. And so, uh, but yeah, all those things are taken into account. And look, you're, you're hoping that next year's one is, is, is somewhere, obviously, where this year's is at later in the draft. There was so much talk before the draft, Coach, about what teams with aging franchise quarterbacks will do. When's the best time to draft a potential replacement? From your perspective, is it better to just wait until the current guy leaves, or is it better to have some overlap where there's an opportunity for the younger guy to maybe learn from the veteran? Well, look, there's always that sense of urgency in our industry to evaluate and, and develop that position. Uh, the, the significance is, is obviously documented and, and is understood. Uh, we feel like we've got two real good candidates in the building. We just signed JT Barrett as a third, but Tom Savage, um, you know, was signed in this offseason. Taysom Hill, we had a year ago, and and then you approach the draft accordingly. And and you know, I, I think when. When you're at the front end of that first round, and if we if we took the 32 teams and identified successful quarterbacks, two thirds are going to be quarterbacks that were taken in the first 15, 17 picks. There's some exceptions to that, but but most are taken in the in that 
early part of the first round. Um, I think we're always paying attention to it. You know, a few years back with Garoppolo, last year with Mahomes, you know, that. Uh, but we do feel real good about some of the young players we have in the building and feel like, uh, you know, as these, this training camp comes up, we'll have a chance to, to, to really work and, and, and see their progress. I've noticed a range of how veteran quarterbacks respond when their teams use a high draft pick or a relatively high draft pick to get a potential replacement. You've got guys like Josh McCown at one end who is all in on doing everything necessary to groom Sam Darnold. You've got some guys at the other end of the spectrum who seem a little salty, a little upset, a little disgruntled about quarterbacks arriving via the draft. Where do you think Drew Brees would fall on that spectrum if all of a sudden there's a first-round quarterback that – is there in the building while he's still the starter? Yeah. Look, I think it's, you understand it because from a short-term perspective, it's it's viewed that that player isn't going to help us right away. And yet uh, there's a big picture, obviously, that's bigger than even the coaches or, or the current roster, and, and that's the, the organization. And, and so I think that uh, that's – that's those instances where large picture organization uh, can sometimes trump short-term goals. You previously said most of the great quarterbacks in the NFL come from the top half of the draft. When you were in Dallas, Cowboys find a guy, found a guy out of Eastern Illinois undrafted in Tony Romo. When did you first know? What, what was it that happened that made you think, crap, this guy can be pretty special? Uh, I think it was a progression, to be honest with that answer. I mean, I think early on there were some signs that, that he was quick to, to make decisions, quick to process. Um, you know, you can recall some preseason games. There's a two-minute drill in Oakland. He leads our team back. Uh, but, you know, when I leave in 06, you know, he was the two still. And then at some point in 06, you know, that – he became the starter. And so I think it, I think it, it's, it's not like on this weekend, you know, I I think it's a progression that, that, that leads you to, Hey, we have something. You've been involved in the competition committee and the competition committee is generating plenty of news with some of the rule changes that were made. The safety summit last week resulted in proposed changes to the kickoff. And Mark Murphy, the Packers CEO, has been very very vocal about this. If the kickoff doesn't become a safer play, it's at risk of going away. And Murphy recently mentioned that the risk for a concussion five times greater on a kickoff than on a normal play. Is there a target in mind, Coach, for the acceptable ratio? Is it one-to-one? Is it two-to-one? What what does the league want the concussion rate on kickoffs to be before it's deemed to be an acceptably risky play? Well, I don't know that there's been a rate we've discussed. I think clearly we've discussed, you know, making it safer. And I think uh, to the league's credit, uh, you know, having the group on hand that we did with the former players, special teams coaches, other head coaches, to to really have dialogue and discussion on improving our game uh, and trying to uh, improve the safety of a play like that, uh, I, I think they did a great job and came back with, uh, you know, some, some really significant uh, changes that I think the fans will be excited still about, and yet I think we'll see you know, a a dip in this number. And when you look at this new structure where no running start for the kicking team 
eight men within 15 yards for the receiving team, no two-man wedge. I, I, I feel like the incentive for both sides in a normal situation may be just to kick the ball into the end zone and take the touchback. Do you think strategically there's going to be a lean one way or the other as to whether or not there will be more returns, or will teams be content on both sides to just concede that the drive's going to start at the 25? Man, I think, Mike, it's a great question. We had, you know, in our staff meeting yesterday, we, we were talking about, I think you're going to see less offensive linemen on this unit. I think you're going to see a more athletic player on this unit. I think you're going to have less space in the collisions, which the goal was at the beginning. And I think uh, I'm not so sure that you're not going to see, uh, uh, you know, a handful of unique returns now when you have eight inside that, that initial uh, 15-yard zone. Uh, I think there's space, and I also think there's opportunities that, that present themselves for the kicking team, um, whether it's not an onside, but you know, placing the ball in certain areas of the field, maybe with the idea of trying to recover it. What do you say to those who think that this progression with the kickoff, the changes to the kicking point, the change to the touchback point, the changes now to the play itself, all a precursor to eventually getting the fans to the point where they accept when the kickoff goes away, and they may want it to go away if it becomes a play that just feels like it's gotten irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, look, when when you get together as a group and, and the players' union, the management council, the coaches, I mean, I think, you know, everyone leaves their weapons at the door and you're trying to improve the game and you're also trying to improve the safety of the game. And, and whenever... That, those are your intentions, then your, your results uh, generally are going to be ones that you're pleased with. And I, I think that was the case this year. And, and, and I keep hearing that the idea is to reduce concussions on the kickoff, but I, I, is there also a motivation here, largely unspoken, to avoid a catastrophic type of an injury, a Kevin Everett and Eric Legrand, because of that impact that happens when guys are at top speed running in opposite directions? I think it's 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 general safety on the play, and and I think that we're constantly looking at that. Obviously, the 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 concussion data uh, gathers more attention, but you know we want it to be a safer play, and I think part of uh, part of doing that is is taking some of the the space and the distance. You know, even the term wedge anymore, it's really a double team uh, as opposed to a single block, and. I think it's been a you know a, a, a kind of a maturation to this point. Coach, one more area before I let you run this new helmet rule, which on the surface, as it's written, it seems very understandable, but it also seems extremely broad, and it seems like it will affect many types of hits and techniques that are used in the NFL. Do we have any greater clarity as to what the rule that generally prohibits dipping the helmet to initiate contact is going to actually prohibit game in and game out? I think this, Mike, I think you're going to see, I think, less of these penalties than you think. When we discussed the instances a year ago, it's going to be the the obvious ones where there's been Plenty of time as the player is approaching the tackle. Uh, you know, it's going to be those uh, six or seven from a year ago, maybe even less than that. I don't, I don't see that number being a tremendously high number, but we, we do feel like this posture we have to remove from the game, not the in- incidental portions of it, but the ones where they're, 
you know, we, we truly can correct and teach from, and it's something that we'll go, go through as a team here in our OTAs and minicamp. One thing that I haven't been clear on, and maybe you can help me understand this, will this be a rule that there will be penalties in situations where it doesn't seem egregious and only when it's egregious will there be an ejection or will there only be a flag thrown in a situation where it is bad enough to get someone run off the field? Yeah, I think the good news is uh, if the ejection is called on the field, it it will be reviewed always. You know, in other words, that and and that – uh, there, there's, I think everyone coaches, all of us felt like you know, that that's going to help us understand and, and get a good picture of whether it was egregious or not. Um, the penalty is the penalty. If the penalty's thrown and, and the decision's made not to eject, then, then the penalty still stands. Um, but I think it's a way for us to, to eliminate some of the, um, you know, some of the hits where, we're really trying to remove, you say take the helmet out of the game, but we're really trying to take the helmet down out of the game. And so heads up or heads to the left or heads to the right, but we, we don't want that helmet in that position that uh, that increases both the, the tackler and, and the player being tackled, their chance of injury. And what's the trigger then? What's the difference between a guy getting ejected and a flag being thrown? Is it going to be like the, the old face mask rule where if it's kind of incidental or not a, a, a well, devastating hit, it's going to be just a penalty? An ejection made in, in, you know, in New York, they see it where, look, the helmets collided and yet uh, the defender, his helmet was moving to the left. He was trying to avoid that contact in, in such a way. You know, the challenge, I think, for the officials sometimes is, some of these hits are bang, bang. We've seen that in the secondary, and then you go back and the hits to the shoulder pad area. So I, I think that uh, I don't think it'll be something that we're going to be looking at in the, you know, in the 20s or 30s. I, I think uh, when the season's over with, that number will be smaller than, than most think. And, and, again, just having met and, and had a conference call on it, uh, we'll meet again here before the spring meetings. Uh, I'm sure New York, the officials and the coaching staff will be able to bring to their teams, hey, specifically, there's a timing element, all right, where it's not bang, bang, but where I've got time here and and I've continued to keep my head down in this position. That's where you run the risk of ejection. How, how much will this new rule change the running game between the tackles where there's constantly helmet contact between offensive linemen, defensive linemen, linebackers? I don't. I think, uh, you know, we're going to coach up guys that are pulling um but i don't i don't think it's uh, it's going to change it much at all do you think the three-point stance is ever going to be in jeopardy of going away no I, I, not in our lifetime well hopefully we live a long time <laughs> yeah, I, think, I, I think we're going to be in three-point stances because i've seen coach madden suggest that now it's been years ago but that's one way to take the head out of the game. You've got offensive linemen who fire out on a running play and defensive linemen who crash into them. And if the goal is to take the head out of the game, you just stand those guys up. Yeah, I, I don't. I understand it, and yet I don't think we're at that point. Well, that's good news because at some point the game's going to fundamentally change, and that's what I'm concerned about. I understand the balance and the importance of safety, but people still want football to be football. And it sounds like, Coach, you've got the right balance in mind as you're looking at these issues. We're glad you're involved with the competition committee and appreciate some of your time. As always, all the best and look forward to talking to you down the road. Mike, thank you a bunch.
I appreciate you having me on. Thanks to Coach Payton for his time. Interesting thoughts from him, not just as it relates to the Saints, but as it relates to the NFL, his involvement in the competition committee with the changes to the kickoff and the helmet rule. And I'm feeling better about the helmet rule after talking to him. I'm still not clear when a flag is going to be thrown and the difference between a flag and an ejection. And also I'm not clear that it's going to be as obvious when it's just a flag. Is it going to be like holding where you can throw it on every play? Is it going to introduce another layer of subjectivity and ambiguity into the officiating of games at a time when the floodgates are about to open on gambling? I don't like that. The kickoff, I like the idea that there are different strategies that may come into play. Pooching the ball between the line of eight and the collection of three. Because eight guys have to be within 15 yards of the kickoff point. Maybe some different body types on kickoff coverage now. To, to squirt through the eight-man line, the eight-man barrier. As long as the teams don't look at it who are kicking off and say, screw it, let's just kick it into the end zone. And the receiving team doesn't say, screw it, let's just take it at the 25. And then the kickoff will just be there for onside kicks. I have a, I have a feeling that teams may explore just saying, okay, fine. Let's, let's just forget about it, and we'll start the drive at the 25. All right. I, I posted the Batman GIF like five minutes before I started the podcast. Full disclosure, I didn't take a nap yesterday. Didn't sleep much last night. So I was really, really tired. So I laid down with the intent of getting up at 345 and posting the Batman Bat Signal related GIF. Today, today was a challenge for me. I'm, I'm going to give you a full and complete and total disclosure and candor here. I finally woke up five minutes before I started. So I did the Batman gif and came right in here after, uh, you know, taking care of some bladder-related issues. I, I, I literally sat down and just started talking. I, I've said recently that I've done so much radio, you can just say, all right, here you go, talk. And I'd be able to talk without any prep. Today, today tested that. Usually I have like the five pack. I have some ideas. I have some things I thought about. Today, it was just literally pull it out of your ass or any other crevice. So here we are in real time, 25 minutes from when I posted the GIF. And there are more than 70 questions. So let's see what we have here. Recognizing I'm trying to keep the whole thing under a full hour. If you take a consulting check from the NFL for the draft and throw the PFTPM posse a pizza party, maybe we call it even. Boy, PFTPM posse is all over this idea that, number one, the idea that they helped me come up with for a better way to do the draft, and to summarize, the 20 teams that don't make it to the playoffs, do a straight lottery with no waiting, not wait, like twiddle your thumbs, W-E-I-G-H-T, the worst team and the best team that didn't make the playoffs and everyone in between gets the same shot at getting the first overall pick and they work it out that way, one all the way to 20 and then 21 to 32. It's based upon how you finish in the postseason. So 
if the NFL adopts that and gives me a consulting check when it has absolutely no obligation to do so, PFT, PM Posse wants something. So now it's a pizza party. Okay, it would have to be Pizza Hut, and they would all have to be chicken and pepperoni pizzas, and we would hold that party somewhere within a 30-mile radius of my house. Because I still had that dream several months ago where I had an idea that I would invite people who are fans of the site, fans of the podcast, to come to my house for a very expensive, like 500 bucks or something like that. Like stupid, like who, who the hell would pay money to come to the house and hang out? But I thought, hey, this would be a great way to make some money. And my wife was like, what in the hell are you doing? You've got all these strangers at the house. So it would have to be within a 30-mile radius of the house if and when the NFL pays me when it has absolutely no obligation to do so for adopting an idea that it will never adopt. We'll have one hell of a pizza party. At PFTPM Posse, passing along a question from At the Devil is Mine. Have you known any writers to cite unnamed sources just to, just to write a fictitious article about a player or team during the slow time in the offseason? I don't know that anyone has done it. I have been suspicious of it, and there are certain writers that I am suspicious of, and I'm not going to name names, but sometimes the quote from the unnamed source just seems to conveniently fit a predetermined narrative. And sometimes I see reports that are very logical. And, oh, unnamed source says X. Well, it's already leaning that way. So congratulations. An unnamed source has allowed you to get ahead of the curve on something we all think is going to happen anyway. There are a couple that I suspect of that. A couple. But I'm not going to make any accusations, and it really doesn't matter to me. I just factor that into my own assessment of which people I trust when it's time to pass along reports to you. Now, the other issue, and this really isn't a fictitious source. This is, this is, and this came up recently a couple times with Shefty. And I'm, and trust me, I'm not saying Shefty is is fabricating. I'm saying that. He will stretch and twist and push to make something newsy that fits a predetermined narrative, like the whole Tom Brady. Something's going on with Tom Brady. Okay, how do we how do we push this forward? Well, what can we do? Hmm, let's see. Tom Brady. Oh, how about this? Tom Brady has yet to tell the Patriots he's definitely playing in 2018. All right, let's go with that. That's news. Yeah, it's true. It's not phony. It's not fake. But there's a little there's a little logic gap there. He did that with something else too. There was another story. I can't even remember what it was now. A couple of weeks ago. First, it was the Tom Brady hasn't told the Patriots he's definitely playing in 2018 that became news. And then there was something else where, oh, it was the Baker Mayfield. Oh, they, oh, they, they haven't definitively ruled out taking Baker Mayfield with the first overall pick in the draft. Okay. They hadn't definitively ruled out anybody at that point. And he got lucky that Mayfield ended up being the first overall pick. And people like Peter King gave him credit for being ahead of things. But Dan Patrick was the first one that week who said, hey, I'm hearing from a source I trust that it's not Josh Arnold and Sam Darnold, Josh Allen and Sam Darnold for the Browns. It's Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield. That was the first one. And it may be that Schefter heard that and decided, well, you know what? Nobody, nobody has ever said that Baker Mayfield isn't in the mix here. Uh, maybe somebody will, maybe some unnamed source can, can, allow me to say, well, you know, still in the conversations, Baker Mayfield. And you could have done that for anybody. 
No, I mean, you know, they haven't ruled out anything with the first overall pick. PFTP and policy since cannabis is completely legal in nine states, medicinal in all non-ignorant-ass states like Texas. Why won't the NFL allow exemptions? Do they want more players hooked on painkillers? Here's the key. Here's the thing. If you want to smoke marijuana and you play in the NFL, you can. You can. You don't need to ask permission. You don't need a therapeutic use exemption. You don't need the CBA to be changed. I wrote about this as a follow-up to the story that Mike James, who's probably never going to play in the NFL again anyway, he, he doesn't need permission. Just do it. The key is, if you stop in the middle of March... You wait for your one annual test that comes at some point between April 20 and early August. After that, you can smoke. You can smoke as much as you want, as long as you don't get busted for possession or driving under the influence or have a bag of weed fall out and land on the commissioner's loafers if you happen to be visiting the league office. Because if you're not in the drug testing program, you get the one test. It's an unannounced test, but it lands in the window of April 20 to August 8. And after you have that one test, it's smoke it if you got it. And if you want to use it to manage pain during the season, you'll be able to. Just be discreet about it. That's why the NFLPA is never going to give up anything of value to get the NFL to relent on marijuana. It doesn't need to. The players who get it know how to work their way around it. It's kind of an unspoken thing. That everybody knows about. Anybody who is smart knows about. PFTP and Posse. Why do teams seem to get progressively worse after signing quarterbacks to big contracts? They rarely seem to get better. You know, that's a that's. I have to go back and look at that. Right. Since 2013, the the Ravens gave Joe Flacco the big contract after they won Super Bowl 47, and they they haven't been back. They've been to the playoffs what, once or twice since then, maybe? 2014, they had the Patriots beaten in the divisional round. 2013, right? Did they did they make it in 2013? They missed it that year. They haven't been back since 2014. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been back to a Super Bowl since signing his $22 million a year deal. Andrew Luck and the Colts, that's been a train wreck. Derek Carr and the Raiders, after he gets his big contract, they don't make it to the playoffs. Matthew Stafford gets $27 million with the Lions. They don't make it to the playoffs. $27.5 million to Jimmy Garoppolo. A lot of expectation they'll make it to the playoffs. Kirk Cousin and the Vikings, what happens with them this year at $28 million? And they got Matt Ryan and the Falcons at $30 million. Here's the problem. Oh, and, and, and also, I left out Russell Wilson. Two straight Super Bowl appearances. Then he gets $21.9 million a year, and they haven't been back to the Super Bowl. It's harder to manage the salary cap. When you have a quarterback who's making franchise quarterback money, the problem is, what are you going to do? We learned with Kirk Cousins in Washington what happens. If you don't pay the guy, you got to franchise tag him once, franchise tag him twice, and then he walks away. And somebody else will pay him. Because the need at the position is strong enough that you are going to pay. But the teams that have the quarterbacks operating under those rookie contracts, those are the ones that often find their their way to the 
Super Bowl. Look at the Eagles. Carson Wentz, second year of a slotted rookie deal for the second overall pick. And and enough money left to spend on a backup who was good enough to come in and win. Now, Tom Brady's a different breed because he's making $20.5 million, which is not big money for a quarterback, especially after what we've seen the last couple of years. But the recent trend, yeah, it's hardly the way that you end up with a Super Bowl championship paying a quarterback market value. What else is here? PFTPM Posse. If PFT Commenter is your internet son, what is the greater PFTPM Posse to you? Are we the uninvited guests that were out there welcome after the first hour? Reverend Mark Worth chimes in. We were welcome once, LOL. No, PFTPM Posse, that's the force of nature that kept me from abandoning the PFTPM podcast. I was going to quit three weeks ago until they came out in force. Now, I'm wondering how strong the PFTPM podcast really is. I still don't have a sponsor for it. And the numbers still aren't where they need to be, so maybe the PFTPM posse needs to grow a little bit. Maybe it's not as big. Maybe it's not as powerful as I thought it was. I'm just saying. I'm not casting aspersions here. I'm just making observations. But but for the PFTPM posse, I would still be sleeping right now. I would have had a really good two-hour power nap this afternoon, so thanks for nothing. Thanks for nothing. Bonus points if you point out on Twitter what that was a reference to. Brady, can you try and have this wrapped and sent before I take off at 6.30 Eastern so I can pin it for a flight? Worst case scenario, I'll blame it on stats on fire. Well, right now it's 4.30 p.m. Eastern, so I think we'll get it done. Burn unit, when is the PFTPM posse barbecue? I think we all need to experience your badass grill. Again, I can't have strangers coming to the house. I'm sorry. So we have to have the pizza party within 30 miles of PFT headquarters, and then we won't be strangers anymore, and we can do the follow-up here. Terry Gensler, when is the, blah, blah, blah. When is the first Peter King PFTPM interview? Just got the chance to listen to the rap sheet. A very, very good interview. Dude, it was like a week ago. But thank you. We got to work on getting Peter King on. I haven't wanted to inundate him with demands on his time while he's still within the first week after his departure from SI, because I figure he's got other things he needs to do. But at some point, we'll get him on. The real Forno is Eric Reed making things worse for himself with how the NFL perceives him by working out with Colin Kaepernick, or was all the damage already done with the collusion lawsuit? Once he filed the collusion lawsuit, it was over. That's it. Gone. Period. Done. I wonder if either of these guys will play in the Alliance for American Football or Alliance of American Football. I doubt it. But I think once Eric Reed filed his collusion grievance, he, he fell into the same category Colin Kaepernick is in. If he wasn't already. Filing collusion grievance just cements it. And plenty of people say, oh, that's fun. Hey, why would I want to hire somebody who sued me? Well, because you're legally prohibited from retaliating against someone who asserts rights that they believe they have against you. That's the hardest thing to get an employer to understand. I've been on both sides of that. And the best case typically is the case that is brought by the person who filed the lawsuit and found himself or herself being retaliated against. Most people think it's perfectly fine. It's not. If anything, it makes your case stronger. And we'll see how much of that creeps into these collusion cases. Because now it's not just collusion based upon the anthem issue. It's collusion based upon the fact that you filed a collusion grievance. And I know that it quickly becomes the dog chasing the tail, but 
Sometimes filing that lawsuit gives you protection against further misconduct. And how can we say Eric Reed shouldn't be on a team right now? More importantly, what kind of evidence are we going to find coming from text messages, emails, etc.? That's the treasure trove, potentially, for Kaepernick and Reed. We'll see how that all plays out. Sean Alvisher has a great question. How do you think Michael Scott would have handled the Colin Kaepernick situation? And it's funny that I see that now. Because as I was answering the question the last time, I was reminded of the storyline after Sabre buys Dunder Mifflin and Andy Bernard becomes aware of the phenomenon of the printers catching on fire. And then he and Daryl were making a videotape and Daryl was just clowning him and a printer caught on fire and someone said something to the media and the writers, the way that they played that out there was a very strong message. Now, this was post-Michael Scott, but there was, was he still there? I think he was gone. There was a very strong message that it was perfectly legitimate to find out who blabbed and retaliate against that person by firing them. And the co-workers were pissed. That's not how it really works. If, if you work for a company that has a defective product that that company knows or should know is being sold to the public that has a real hazard component to it, and you have an employee who leaks it, who blows the whistle, that's honorable conduct. And if you're retaliated against, you have one hell of a lawsuit. Some of the best lawsuits I ever handled on behalf of individuals were filed by people who were concerned about some safety issue. They made their concern known, and they got shit-canned. So so I guess that kind of answers the question. I don't know how Michael Scott would have handled Colin Kaepernick. You know, if he would have viewed Colin Kaepernick as akin to Toby, it wouldn't have been good. But I know how the writers of The Office would have handled somebody being a whistleblower. So if that storyline would have come up when Michael Scott was still there, he probably would have been very pissed off that somebody was doing... And that's the thing. Michael did not like Toby because human resources employees tend to apply restrictions to the things you can do at work. The things that, that you would be inclined to do because you think it's funny. You know, like the various things that Michael Scott would do and say that would create issues under the civil rights laws. That's why he didn't like Toby. Because to Toby would say, you can't, Michael, you can't. You can't talk about religion. Michael, you can't do the Chris Rock routine. Michael, you can't send email messages around that have sexually explicit jokes in them. HR employees, competent HR employees, tell people what they can't do to keep the company out of trouble. So Michael Scott Michael Scott would have found a way to step right into a big pile of shit with Colin Kaepernick. So it took me a while, but I finally got there. Reverend Markworth, would you prefer to deal with a straightforward Big Ben or a passive-aggressive Tom Brady? I would definitely prefer to deal with someone who comes directly to me and says, I got a problem and here's why. Now, my... my Ideal situation would be someone who says nothing. So give me Joe Flacco. But if somebody's going to talk, I'd rather know where that person stands and deal with it head on. Andrew Ye, are we anointing Patrick Mahomes to be a great quarterback too early? He seems to generate as much hype as Jimmy Garoppolo, but has started even fewer games. However, football experts sing his praises, and Andy Reid clearly thinks very highly of him to trade away Alex Smith. And it's more than that. Andy Reid thinks highly of Patrick Mahomes because when Reid jumped from 27 to 10 last year, 
Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes were on the board. Andy Reid took Patrick Mahomes. Then a couple of weeks ago, when Sean Payton was talking about the 11th overall pick in the 2017 draft, he said that if Marshawn Lattimore had been drafted and Patrick Mahomes hadn't, he would have taken Patrick Mahomes. Deshaun Watson was still available. So you got two of the best quarterback coaches in the NFL who thought more of Mahomes than Watson, and look how good Watson was. And look how good Mahomes was when he played. And look at that throw. The one that sold me was in the preseason when he was rolling right and he was getting hit and he fired a 50-yard laser right on the money. So, yeah, I mean, we're anointing him too early because he hasn't proven it. But when you look at what the guy taking two spots after him has done, and when you look at the fact that Andy Reid and Sean Payton both thought more of Mahomes, and when we see what Mahomes has done, there's reason to be excited. At Jason Schender, who is the best and worst house guest of the Pardon My Take crew? Any noteworthy stories from their visit? We're coming up on the one-year anniversary. And I don't remember anything unusual. I, I feared an upper decker. Like, one or two other guys didn't sleep. I mean, they're all business. They got here mid-afternoon. We hung out, we had some food, we watched the Cavaliers game, the NBA playoffs were going on. I think that was the day the Capitals and the Penguins had their final game. The Penguins put away the Capitals, or that was the that was the, the close to the clincher. So it was right around this time of year. And uh, yeah, they were fine. They were they were fine house guests, but but two of the guys never even slept in the house. And and I will admit that while we were watching TV one of the guys, I, mean, I don't, I, no, no, I, I, you know what, I, what happens in the barn or at least standing outside the barn in position for any, uh, no, no, I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, they were all fine. I'll leave it at that. And, and it's not, it's not, it was neither big cat nor PFT common or it was something else. And it was, it was no big deal. It, it's a funny story, but I'll just hold it for another time. How about that? What else do we have here? At the Laughing Man 5, does cannabis get a medical exemption if, in the NFL before it becomes federally legal? Never. No. Once it becomes federally legal, if that happens, then that's when I think the NFL has to step away from its ban on the use of marijuana. I think it has no choice to at that point. At the Real Forno, does the Mark Ingram suspension potentially mean the end of his tenure with the Saints? Possibly. Possibly. Let's take a look at his contract. Let me see if I can get this to come up here. Sometimes the internet cooperates, and sometimes I've really I'm I'm getting an internet upgrade at the house. You know the, the the DSL that I use, man. Sometimes it just sucks. So I'm getting a fiber connection. If they ever get the thing finished, I need to check on that. It's been a while. All right, Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram. I go to the spot rack, and I don't know whether I'm saying it that way. Uh, spot rack, spot rack. They have all the contracts. Ingram is in the final year of his contract, $4 million base salary. Last year of his deal, he is 28. I, I don't know. Do they keep him around? Does it affect him next year? I mean, they really have gotten a lot of mileage out of him and Alvin Kamara. So if he wasn't there, they'd have to do something with someone else. Maybe they cut him and they sign Adrian Peterson. Wouldn't that be funny? I don't know that funny is the right word. But wasn't that odd last year? 
But didn't we know that wasn't going to work? It's amazing how badly it didn't work. And the good news is, unlike teams that would double down and continue to adhere to a mistake, the Saints were willing to, to recognize that, nah, this probably wasn't a good idea and move on. PFTPM Posse via PFTPM Posse OG Black 88 Elite. Which rookie quarterback will play the most games this year? You know, we did the rookie quarterback over-unders yesterday on PFT Live. I don't know if we had that category. Okay, we've got Josh Allen, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson in round one, Mason Rudolph in round three. There's a chance one of the later round guys ends up in fluky fashion playing, but let's just focus on the top six. I'd say it's either going to be Josh Allen or Sam Darnold. And I'll go Darnold. Wild guess, hunch, gut feeling. I'll go Darnold. I think Josh Allen's going to struggle with, with the mechanics issues that he thinks he's going to be able to master just because he tells himself, okay, be careful with your feet, be careful with your feet, be careful with your feet. I, I think he's going to slip there. He's going to have accuracy issues. It's going to be a little bit of a baptism by fire for Josh Allen. I think Sam Darnold's going to make the transition more smoothly, and he's going to earn the ability to get on the field and stay on the field. So I say Sam Darnold, final answer. PFTPM Posse via Black 88 Elite. Which of these, or actually it's Black 88 Elite via PFTPM Posse. I want to get my via. Got to use your, the via the right way. And I've already noticed that I've sailed over what I said I was going to do. Which of these players has a better year? Saquon Barkley, Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, or Christian McCaffrey? Hmm. It's either going to be Dalvin Cook or Saquon Barkley. I think they're going to get used the most in the most diverse ways. I'm going to go Saquon Barkley because I think he's going to be the workhorse. I think Latavius Murray is going to, going to vulture some of the Dalvin Cook carries. I don't think Cook is going to be the workhorse that he was last year. Meanwhile, Pat Shermer, who was using Dalvin Cook as a workhorse in Minnesota, he's now the head coach in New York. They want to justify using the second overall pick on Barkley. I think he's going to get used a lot, and the more you get used, the, the more impact you're going to have. One more on the way out the, the door, maybe a couple more. Recliner QB has some grill-related questions. I, I can't say... I can't say uh, that, you know, I'm unwilling to extend for grill questions. Best grilling tips, favorite thing to grill. I re- you know, one thing I've learned, it's like anything else. The more you do it, the easier it gets. And you get a sense for when it's time to pull the steak off the grill based upon whether you're going for medium, medium rare, an aristocrat, medium well or well done. Uh, ch- chicken, you know, I, we, we have a good chicken system. And it's it's underrated how good grilled chicken is. We marinate it. They have the Jack Daniels marinade bags. We soak it in there. And my God, is it good. It's a pain because it feels like it takes forever to cook. But it is so good when it's done that way. I like cooking bacon on the grill. Now, you got to be careful not to start a grease fire. When the PA, uh, the Pardon My Take guys visited last year, we, we tried to cook pork belly on the grill, and we had one hell of a grease fire. It was bad. It was really bad, almost to the point where we had to go get a fire extinguisher. But, uh, you know, I, I like cooking steaks on the grill. Um, uh, you know, and I hate to, yeah, hot dogs on the grill are so damn good. Oh, my God, are they good. There's just something about a hot dog that's grilled. and And I know that it's all sorts of disgusting, unsellable meats that get ground up. 
but man, they're good. Another one from Recliner QB. What's the first thing you grill on the new grill? Do you season your new grill great first? You know, that's a good question. I don't know. Do you season it? I got to look that up. I, it's, it's ready to go. And it looks so pristine, I hate to use it. And, and the, it's so different than the one that I had. The one that I had, and I'm sure you don't give a shit about this, but I, I started down this path. I'm going to finish the story. It had three different burners, and the burners were erratic. The burner on the right was like really hot and, and heavy flame. The middle was medium. It was like the, the three bears house. And the one on the left was just like spitting out little flames. And it had these briquettes that, that were arranged on trays over top of the flame. And then those briquettes would heat up and that would cook the food on the metal grate above it. And the briquettes got all nasty and the, and the grate, I think because the flame was coming out too hot, the grate got bent and the briquettes were crumbling down into the thing. It was just, it was just, it was, it was time. This new thing, my God, it's like out of professional kitchen. It's got four burners that emit this very, it looks small, but it's potent. This, this blue flame that just like, it's like something out of a science fiction movie. It, it, the flame fills in the spots and it's hot. I mean, you can feel the heat. And then there are ceramic tubes over top of it and they're in racks and the ceramic tubes get hot. And then that provides the radiant heat that cooks the food. And the rack isn't the typical grill rack with the bars that are, you know, I don't know, an eighth of an inch apart or whatever it is. It, it's U-shaped tubes that that will cook the meat and and the grease pours down instead of into the fire. Now, you're still going to get some that makes its way into the fire. It's unavoidable because there's gaps between the things, but they're not very big. And apparently what you can do is, number one, you can flip over the grate and you can cook like vegetables and stuff on the other side of this thing, things that otherwise wouldn't drip fat down into the into the ceramic tubes. And once the ceramic tubes do become soiled by the, the meat and the crap from the meat, you can actually turn them over and it'll self-clean. It'll burn them right off, burn all that shit right off. So I, it just looks so, it, it, it looks so good, brand new. I hate to use it. That's the conundrum. At some point, I'm going to soil the thing. I don't know if you season it. I got to do a little research on that, but uh, that'll give me something to do later this week as we get ready to use it. One more question before we go, and this one comes from at the laughing man five, and it's a good question. Not to be rude, but how did you get through the day without bringing up Gronk's minigun video? That thing was horrifying, horrifying. And I don't know how a normal human being could have held that. If you haven't seen it, you need to find it. it. It's like, it's like a, a gun from one of those video games like Fortnite or Call of Duty. And he can barely lift it off the ground. And the bullets are flying out of this thing. And it's like I like if he dips it any farther, the bullets are going to go straight into the ground. You're going to have a ricochet situation. And the, the shells are flying out violently. I, You know, we, we thought about using it in PFT Live, but I, I mean, you know... We're still at a time in this country where there's a lot of raw feelings about gun violence. and I mean, this is the kind of thing, and I know it's not like you can buy one of these, but man, when you see, when you see, you can't even see the, all you see is fire coming out of the end of this thing. I mean, it, it is a little horrifying, and we, we thought better of it, and, and I, I, you know, I don't know. If it was June, maybe we'd have posted a story about it. Things really haven't slowed down all that much. 
But man, if I'm the Patriots, I'm thinking, they could have very easily gone badly. I, I don't know what the real risk was to Rob Gronkowski, but it seemed like he was struggling with it. It seemed like, number one, he was struggling with it. Number two, he was absolutely and completely delighted by it. And when, when Anthony Bourdain did his show in West Virginia, and, and one of the issues, you know, they were talking about gun rights and gun control, and Anthony Bourdain seems to be of a, of a left-leaning mindset. They were firing guns and blowing stuff up, and he loved it. There, there is some visceral appeal to blowing shit up, and I think he even used that term. I think, what did they have? Did they have pumpkins that they put different explosives in? And it was, you didn't know how strong it was. You didn't know what color it was going to be. And they, they'd hit the, was it a pumpkin or what was it? I think it was in pumpkins. And it would make these explosions when they hit it with these, these fully automatic guns that whatever the, it was some group down in Southern West Virginia that had a license to own and use those guns. Because it, it, it was experimental or something like that. It, it really is something. And we, we go, uh, skeet shooting every once in a while. And, and when, when you turn one of those flying discs into powder, when you hit it square and it powders, there really is something about it that, that speaks to our animal instincts. And it's just like, yeah. So on that note, we'll do the PFTPM podcast again on Wednesday. I think we have Adam Gase at some point this week, and I need to talk to Chris Sims. He had jury duty today. And, and I think that he just assumed it was going to work out in a way that he wasn't going to actually be on a trial. But I don't think he realized just how close he came to having a major wrench thrown into his day-to-day plans if he had ended up serving on a trial. But he has wiggled out of it. He'll be back on PFT Live on Wednesday. And I'll try to set up the PFT Live or the PFT PM interview with him at some point this week. I've promised it, so I've got to do it. So I will do it. Thanks for the uh, time and attention. And we'll do this again on Wednesday. Have a great Tuesday evening. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.